0: Hello and welcome to 100 Campaigns That Changed the World. I'm Steve Tibbet and I'm talking to you today about the campaign to stop the European Super League. Um, so I'm speaking today with Joe Blott, uh, who's the chair of the Spirit of Shankly, which is the unofficial supporters union for fans of, of Liverpool Football Club. And it's named after the uh, former Liverpool manager, Bill Shankly, um, it was formed in 2008, and its aim is to seek fan ownership of Liverpool Football Club in the in the longer term. Um, and Joe was very much involved in the campaign to end the European Super League. Now, you may not know, or you may ask, what, what, what was the European Super League? What is, what is the idea? And it, it was an idea that had been circulating amongst the air owners of the top uh, European... Uh, soccer teams, or football as we call them here in the UK. Um, And it had been discussed for for quite a long time, but never had any sort of flesh on the bones, much detail. But uh, one Sunday morning in April 2021, these sort of plans emerged from those clubs and from the owners. And um, I think the the key point really is that these were the... uh, you know the, the biggest clubs, the most, the richest, but also, yeah, perhaps the, uh, the ones, most of the ones in Europe that were basically owned by the, by the richest people. And they suddenly declared that um, the soccer economy, as they called it, no longer worked for them. Um, and um, they had this, um, this idea to, to sort of reconfigure the game at the top level, at the European level. So it was announced Sunday night um, by Monday morning, there was already a huge backlash and we had governments and, and heads of state and FIFA and, and, and celebrities all weighing, weighing in with their, um, their views about it. And, and it was almost overwhelmingly negative in terms of the reaction um but there were there was um although it sort of seemed quite random there was a degree of coordination going on behind the scenes between uh the fa- certainly between the fan groups and also um some of the ex players and and others journalists etc so anyway after about 48 hours um uh including sort of street protests and and um and and high level lobbying um, there was news, news emerged Tuesday night that Man City, Manchester City were pulling out, and then uh, Chelsea, then Arsenal and, and others uh, all moved away from the idea and it was dead in the water. So um, it's a fascinating sort of s- case study in a sort of flash campaigning. And uh, here's, here's Joe talking about it. Hello and welcome to 100 Campaigns That Changed the World. I'm here with Joe Blott from the spirit of Shankly. And we're talking about the campaign to stop the European Super League. And Joe, um, could you say a little bit about how you first heard about the idea of the European Super League and also the announcement as it, as it emerged that that weekend?
1: Yeah, i have been mushrooms for a few months, um... Particularly because UEFA uh, wants to change the, the Champions League format, um, so we'd had conversations with Liverpool FC about, about it and expressed our concerns. Um, they listened to those, but, but but they said that there's no further information. So it came as quite a surprise that um, when my phone was vibrating in my pocket, I think it was on Mother's Day uh, when I was round at my mother's in laws, and, was, and um, it was the chief executive of the Football Supporters Association saying that there'd been an announcement um, or that announcement was due that Liverpool, along with five other Premier League clubs and, and six other European clubs, were actually about to set up the European Super League and break away uh, fra- from UEFA. Um, so it, 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 it was quite a surprise that something like that had, had happened so quickly. Um, quite a disappointment that we hadn't been informed previously by the football club. Um, but obviously that then set in motion um, the, the way that we needed to challenge uh, that particular move away from, from the sporting integrity of, 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 of the game that we know.
0: Yes, and, and you also, um, I think it's uh, true that you also are in touch with or were in touch with other uh, um, supporters' trusts over, over that period quite quickly. Is that right?
1: Yeah, clearly what we needed to do was really uh, galvanise opposition to, to, to this um, announcement. And uh, we, I was in immediate contact with colleagues from Arsenal, from Tottenham, uh, Chelsea, Manchester United and Manchester City. Um, and, you know, we, we, we collectively um, became engaged uh, in order to, to, to make our opposition well and truly known um, immediately. Um, I think it's really important to note that people probably don't expect football fans to keep in touch with each other uh, as often as we do. Um, There's actually more that binds us together and unites us than separates us. And whilst we might challenge each other for for 90 minutes twice a season, um, we actually work collectively on a whole host of issues. And particularly for those clubs more often involved in European football, football. you know, we challenged in the past the price of tickets for the finals, the price of tickets for the UEFA Champions League games, um, the allocation of tickets to fans. Um, so we we, we, we we can very quickly, you know, get in touch with you, And that's what we did on that Sunday.
0: And, and were there other people that you were talking to as well? I don't know, journalists or, uh, or, or other people at the club? I mean, how, how quickly were you able to sort of sort of galvanise some sort of response?
1: Yeah, I mean, clearly the, the Football Supports Association, uh, which is the umbrella group for supporters' trusts in, in England, uh, were, were fully engaged with us. Um, I also took counsel from um, Dave Kelly, who's the chair of the Blue Union, which is Everton's uh, union. Um, not because they were, they were engaged in it, but obviously the impact of, of any breakaway group w- w- would affect the rest of the, the Premier League as well. And, um, you know, we... I wanted to take his wise counsel uh, and also gain his support from from an Everton supporter's point of view uh, for any campaign that we would be taking up. Um, In terms of of the club themselves, uh, they were completely silent, um, despite me having spoken to them every single day the previous week. Um, They they remained silent over that weekend and and did so throughout until the the Tuesday uh, following the announcement. Um, and of course, in terms of in terms of journalists, you know, yes, you can imagine that, uh, that on that particular day and, and, and the, the days thereafter, uh, you know, there's a huge um, a huge amount of media interest. Uh, and I think what you know, one of those issues that comes with being um, the, the Liverpool uh, supporters' trust um, means that actually there's there's often quite a lot of a lot of interest in what Liverpool fans want to say.
0: Yeah. Um and I suppose there was the, the you know, what I what I noticed at the time was there was quite you know, quite a loud voice coming from the fans. There's a loud voice coming from some prominent uh ex players or you know, or journalists, etc. Um, but there wasn't a voice coming from 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 the owners and the supporters of this idea. And do you think that was a bit odd that you weren't you know, what you'd expect in this situation for, you know, these people have put this idea out there, it's going to happen, and then they'll, they'll sit and defend yeah. it. But other than it, some voices from Spain that I remember, I don't remember a lot in, in the English uh, space that, that were sort of putting up much of a fight.
1: No, there was, I mean, from, from the, the, the owner's point of view, there was complete silence. Um, I think it's important, really, to, to, to try and emphasise that this was an owner led approach you know that don't forget that uh, for anyone who doesn't follow football uh, so closely um, many of our Premier League football clubs in particular are owned by you know Russian oligarchs uh, venture capitalists um, and you know rich oil states Um, so they don't tend to want to talk to fans very much they do on, on certain issues, but of course on this particular issue, I think their their view was obviously that remaining silent was their was their best way out to to approach it. Um, that clearly collective silence was was definite. Um, As I say, there was nothing coming out from Liverpool, um, so it was those who had to make the noise. And um, you know, clearly, as the, as the news continued to break on the Sunday, um, you know, there was nothing for opposition to what was going on. Um, mm. I think on two fronts. More than anything else, I think the front was that clearly that this was just uh, financially led. Um, and was just another example of how how corporately greedy uh, that these owners were. Uh, but secondly, as well, it brought into question a whole element of sporting merit because you know this was an invitation league uh, and not one where you where you where you got to the you got to the top of the league or got into that league based on the sporting merit on the pitch and. Um, you know being a Liverpool fan, I was particularly proud that the season that they after they 'd announced it you know we 'd won the premier League we 'd won the champions League we'd won the super cup we were world champions, and um, all of that was done by eleven players on a football pitch, um, not by the by the size of the, the the bank account that that the owners held, so you know clearly there was opposition to that, and I think that 's where football fans particularly galvanize themselves because um, you know, there's nothing better that a football fan wants is to see that the eleven players who who you watch uh, are given their all to to make things better. And sometimes it's for the worse, but nevertheless, that's the passion that you have. But at least anything that you achieve or don't achieve is, is done through effort and not
0: finance. Absolutely, and I think what struck me as well was um, that there was a very quick capitulation uh, by the clubs and uh, um, and the. You know, the idea kind of um, sort of, you know, f- fell apart quite quickly. I think within 48 or 72 hours, it was it was it was finished. Why do you think they capitulated so quickly? Because, you know, presumably they had anticipated that there'd be a, a adverse reaction from supporters and from others. Did they underestimate the strength of feeling or um, what would be your take on why they why they sort of capitulated so quickly?
1: I think it's because
0: owners generally don't understand
1: football. They you know their their passion to own a football club is to generate finance. It's not to improve um either the fan or the or the footballer experience. And so they 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 they're completely out of touch with with, with what it's like to be a football fan. Um so you, you know, your your version of did they underestimate the response? Yes, they did. Um you know. Clearly the owners were listening to the likes of um the Real Madrid um uh, presidents and the Barcelona presidents, who, quite frankly, um are, are skint, you know, that they, they, they don't have any money. Uh just the same. Um, they're they're in significant amounts of debt. Uh, so for them the driving force was obviously to get something that was a, a financial rich picking, and uh, and our owners saw that as an opportunity to do that. Um and Clearly didn't take anyone with them in terms of in terms of the the, the supporters, and I think you know you, you said how quickly that it all fell apart. I mean, from, from from Liverpool's point of view, we 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 were playing Leeds United on the Monday night, um, and it was you know so obvious that Jurgen Klopp, our manager, uh, James Milner, who was our captain on the night, were going to be asked in media interviews what their thoughts were on the European Super League, um, and they 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 both. Must have been literally thrown under a bus by their employers because they hadn't been informed of any developments either. So, so they had to, you know, almost say yes or no to the European Super League. Um, thankfully, they said no. Um, the following day, as well, uh, Jordan Henderson, who's the the, the club captain, uh, also rounded up um, like Instagram and Twitter quotations from every player, who all voiced their opposition. So, what you had. I think, for, for our owners in particular, but clearly a, a groundswell of, of fans across the country as well, was that we had, we, we had what Bill Shankley describes as like the, real, the real strength and passion of football, where um, there's a holy trinity of alliance between football manager, the football players, and the football supporters. Um, so what we saw by the Tuesday was a, you know, that, that holy trinity really came together in total opposition. And I think what, what we got to was that by about six o'clock um, in the evening, um, one of the teams fell uh, gave gave way. Um, it was Chelsea, I think, because there was some protests outside their ground, and then Arsenal soon followed. And what you had then was a, you know the, the domino effect. And uh, by midnight uh, on that evening, everything had collapsed. Uh, the whole pack of cards had come tumbling down, and you know that that strength of supporter. Uh, uh, opposition to to the riches that, that, that football brings was was a really powerful moment i believe in terms of um, demonstrating that football football belongs to the supporter uh, community it belongs to the players it belongs to the managers and it doesn 't belong to to rich
0: owners who live in Russia or boston in america or or anywhere else to to what extent do you think um did it fit when you were in the middle of this, you know, short period of time, did it feel like you were involved in a campaign or was it, was it more, was it more reactive than that? You you know, giving quotes to the media or, I mean, I'm just trying to get a sense to which were you agreeing lines to put out between you, between the fan groups? Uh, were you, were you sort of coordinating sort of when you might do something, coordinating, uh, coordinating your um... both, really. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, a bit of both. I mean, I mean, clearly we were
1: in contact, constant dialogue with each other. But this, this was so fast moving. Um, but I think you know, as I said at the outset, because we have worked together so often, there's a, there's a great deal of trust between us. Um, and if one of us is approached by a certain media outlet, then it's okay. With, you know, it's okay for any of the group to speak on behalf of the rest of the group, and if we just keep in touch with each other that way. You know. Um, so it, it wasn't hard to to really show that the campaign was 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 solid, um, and it was it was a campaign. It wasn't just reactionary, because the main thing was was that I think this was a pivotal moment in in, in football um, that we had to challenge, and to do so, we also needed to have an outcome as well. Um, so it wasn't just the end of the European Super League. We, we felt that this was moments in in football history really that if we didn't if we didn't stop what was happening um, then then we the future of football not just the premier League not just European football but the whole football pyramid will be damaged beyond repair um, so you know as supporters and and, and lead supporters of of of, of, organ- of uh, the organizations I think we felt a significant amount of responsibility to 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 challenge, but also to to convince our members that there needed to be um, a consolidated campaign against this. Of course, you know we were preparing for a long campaign, um, but it, it, it obviously collapsed mm. far more quickly than than I think anyone would have anticipated. And so, I think that's because of the strength of feeling. But nevertheless, you know we we were we were starting to to make plans for forthcoming fixtures. Uh, we saw what happened with the. The Manchester United Liverpool game because there was still significant opposition. So once the European Super League had collapsed, um, you know we as fans were then still in opposition to what the philosophy of the owners were. So with we, you know, each each then individual group um, took on the owners of the particular football club uh, in order to make to make some headway into supporter engagement. Because you know what what clearly happened was was that on the Friday before. Um, the, the announcements of the European Super League. Um, as I say, I'd, I'd had meetings every day with, with, with Liverpool Football Club. Um, so our engagement was was happening, you know, and we, we were probably, probably one of the best um, engagement relationships in the Premier League. Um, but by Sunday, that had been completely utterly ripped up by the owners. So, you know, we needed to start again and we needed to use the collapse of the European Super League as a platform to improve not only dialogue with ourselves, but dialogue
0: with, uh, across all of the football pyramid. Yeah, that's interesting. And I want to ask you about a bit more about that in a second. I just want to just uh, stick with um, the period in question. For a moment, I'll ask you, were, were there any lines of communication open between, for instance, the, the fan groups and the any of the owners of any of the Cubs that you know about? Were, were you able to pick up the phone or send an email or a WhatsApp to any, any of the owners uh, and, and sort of appeal to them directly? Or Was it all done through the media, essentially? As I understand it, um,
1: on the Sunday evening, um, I think Tottenham owners offered a telephone conversation with, with, with their supporters' trust. And on the Monday, uh, we were offered a, a telephone conversation. Um, but we felt at that, that time that there was nothing to discuss because you know we needed to be off the table first it wasn't about explaining why they were doing it um, this, our, our our challenge was that if you if you're not going to stop it, then there's nothing for us to discuss um, so that was the line that we collectively taken that until such time as they were taking everything off the table, then we you know not we, we weren't going to get back around the table with them. so so we felt that having not been engaged in the decision-making process, we weren't in a position to be engaged in, as I say, just the, their explaining of what they'd done. Um, it was quite clear what they'd done. Um, what we wanted to have was an engagement about how to stop it, but if we weren't prepared to do it, then then that that would come later. Um, so, no, but, but, but overall, you know, until, um, as I say, I think it was the it was Tuesday evening when Chelsea uh, made their announcements, and then uh, on the wednesday john henry uh, made his visit video um or there'd been nothing um with the football club um so it was it was silence and I think that's what really 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 hurt everybody but it was as as I say more than anything else, it was the owners who who needed to take responsibility and accountability for that at the time and uh, and not not the club employees you know and you know there there was there was staff who I remember the conversation that I had. we have been doing a lot of work um, with the Liverpool Football Club Foundation and the club itself about um, suicide awareness amongst football fans. And we had a meeting set up for the Wednesday. Uh, and club employees contacted me and said that they were really worried that we were going to walk away from this because they, they, you know, this was the impact um, that this was having on club employees Mm. And we said, you no, know, clearly we're not going to walk away because the, the football club is, is bigger than the owners and, and suicide awareness and mental health issues amongst football fans is bigger than the owners. Um, so we weren't going to walk, walk away. But I think what I'm trying to demonstrate is that the impact was not just felt by football fans, but the impact was also felt by the employees. And, um, you know, we shouldn't forget that they weren't informed of this at all. And, you know, they, they'd always taken on a journey by the owners. and You know, not necessarily in a collective spirit. And I think that that goes all the way to the top uh, in terms of of the employment as well. There seems to be very little
0: um, knowledge within the football club itself, um, other than with the ownership. Yeah. And and I think it's important to say at that point, you know, for those that don't know football that well, that actually football clubs are quite different, for instance, to, uh, you know, other um, companies or, or organisations, and they have their own specific dynamics in relation to the ownership, the structure, the management, and as you say, the players and supporters. It's it's quite different, isn't it, than trying to put pressure on a, I don't know if you were thinking of a, a big company and, and doing a campaign against something that they were, they were doing. The, 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 the clubs are different entities and have different histories,
1: Yeah, yeah, you're so right. I mean, they're they're hugely complex, Um, and I thought I knew Liverpool Football Club until until this really happened. And um, you know, it is it is a complex myriad of ownership. Um, So to to approach our board, um, you know, the the actual board of Fenway Sports Group who who own Liverpool Football Club, um, they own the Boston Red Sox, they own. Fenway Sports Ground in America, they've got their fingers in all sorts of other pies. So the actual board in Boston comprises of many, many uh, different aspects of of business. Uh, Not just football, not just American uh, baseball, but all sorts of sports and other franchises. So hugely complex. Um, And, you know, that's probably, as you say, in terms of campaigning against a a particular company or a particular brand um, you know how to go and target that And you know th- this is very different and it's very unique and, and of course y- you're also right about you know challenging other brands because um, you know I, I can't walk away from <clears throat> excuse me I can't walk away from Liverpool football club. Um, excuse me I was essentially born a Liverpool fan and um, you know just because I'm fed up with with either the the players on the pitch, or the or, or the owners, or, or the club in between. Um, I can't switch my allegiance to Everton or to also or to some other club. and I think that's part of the, the dynasty as it is the legacy um, that owners do to understand. Um, but you know, we, we to to access those owners is incredibly difficult uh, because mm. they they're locked away in, in in either, as I say, in terms of uh, um, Liverpool, they're either locked away as a myriad of companies or you know for Manchester City for example you know it's a Gulf state that owns them uh, you know so you're actually you're speaking at uh, a government level in terms of mm. uh, how, how to engage with them so it's a
0: hugely hugely complex issue. Final question uh, now Joe um, what, what do you think has been achieved in the long term by this by this campaign and, and the, the victory that you've had and how likely is it to come back this idea in a different form What do do you need to do to make sure it doesn't come back?
1: I think there needs to be greater engagement with with football fans for the owners to to understand it. Um, I mean, once once the the pack of cards had uh, come tumbling down, you know, Liverpool, the owners wanted to engage with us. um, And we saw that as a positive approach. And we, we, we actually consulted with our members and said, there's probably two ways of going here. We either you know, campaign for the owners to leave or we actually engage with them because they they want to engage with us now. And the overwhelming majority, over 90, 90% of our members, wanted us to continue to engage with them. So we were able to say to the owners um, that this was a moment in time now and they could cre- recreate history. Um, and instead of having uh, a, a very sort of... Um, limited view in terms of supporter engagement. They could do something extremely positive and groundbreaking. Um, and to be fair, that's what they've done. Um, we, we um, as the supporters Trust for Liverpool, will now um, have uh, access to the board, which we've never had before. Um, and also the engagement with us as fans will actually be written into the club's articles of association, so there will be a legally binding document um, that not only binds FSG uh, to engaging with us, but of course, that would be something that would be an undertaking should another owner uh, take, take charge. Um, so what we've got now is an agreement that we've, we've got a legacy here that be that future-proofed engagement with football fans. Um, more importantly, um, any huge decisions that they would want to make, so for example, to move to a European Super League, uh, we have the power of veto, uh, or a golden share, uh, as we call it, um, really to to say no to anything that we believe would be in, uh, in direct contradiction of what the football club's direction of travel should be, but also the, the direction of travel for football supporters. So we've got a far greater voice now as a consequence of this, and that's what we always wanted to achieve out of it, was that clearly the... You know our immediate reaction was to have the opposition, but you said you, you know you did say to us about what you know what, what was our campaign about? Our campaign was always about stopping that, but also improving for the future, um, and that's what we believe we've achieved. And uh, you know, hopefully by by the middle of August, we'll have had all this signed off, and uh, we'll be we'll be in a far greater position to influence the way that Liverpool Football Club, the way that the Premier League operates, but the way that Europe operates as well. And we think that. We've always said that football fans can be a force and a power for good, uh, and we think this is one significant example of that.
0: Well, yeah, and I know that other clubs and other supporters trusts are having similar conversations, although maybe not. I mean, in the case of my club, Arsenal, not not uh, haven't made quite as much headway as, as it sounds like you've you've made uh, at Liverpool. But but those those are the conversations that are going on, and, and hopefully. Um, you know, we can move to a situation where we don't get we get surprised by these these crazy ideas in 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 the middle of a weekend. Um, but uh, Joe, thank you so much for your time. I, I really appreciate it. It's been fascinating learning about about the campaign to stop the European Super League. Thanks, Steve. It's a pleasure. Thank you.